so man, just how uh, was your how was your day, Ben? As you, did you get your workout in? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I worked out. Uh, actually, today's uh, as as of the recording of this podcast, it's uh, Tuesday, and um, one thing that I'm trying to prioritize right now is to improve my range of motion and uh, mobility. It's something that I I often struggle with. Okay. So this morning's workout consisted of uh, about 45 minutes of static stretching with some. Uh, some correctional exercise, and then I just did the sauna. So that was today's workout. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds fun, man. Uh, I know. Yeah, I know. I know you. You you're kind of the the guy that ma ma get gets made fun of by the other two because of the mobility <laughs> issues. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They like to tease me about it. Uh, yeah. It's it's you know I like the strength training. I like to lift heavy. I like the bodybuilding component. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, correctional exercise. It's just you know it takes. A lot of dedication to, mm -hmm. to, and I'm naturally tight to begin with, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I thought to myself, you know, I probably should focus on it. I'm 40. I turned 40 <laughs> last year. Yeah, I'll be turning 41 this month, so or next month. Oh, so nice. uh, I need to make it a priority. Yeah, same here. Like that's the the part I, I really f I struggle also with my workouts. It's like I love all of the heavy heavy lifting stuff, and then the kind of the correctional stuff. I just <laughs> sweep it under the rug, you know. <laughs> totally. But I guess I'm still young. I, I got some sometime until it <laughs> starts affecting me but anyway <laughs> oh man so many asking so many questions to ask you but uh, I just something i've always been very interested in and by listening you to talk uh, on the podcast is that you 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 said multiple times that you started very young in the fitness industry you started working out when you were a teenager and then you quickly started working out in 24-hour fitness when you were like 18 years if i'm correct And Correct. Yeah, okay. And I just wanted to know, man, because you quickly became one of the top performing employees of the company. And I just want to know if that was something that you, you feel that was always inside of you, you know, being a top performer, like if it was something normal in, in school and growing up, were you always that top performer? Performer, Or were you like, was it something that was awakened by, by this entering into like a, this kind of profession you felt was right for you? Yeah, well, in school I did well, but it wasn't because I I was dedicated or because I really tried to do well. It it, it uh, came, um, it wasn't difficult. It came easy. In fact, it was boring, non-stimulating, and so I just kind of did what I needed to do to do okay in school. And and if I needed to, you know, oh, I need to get an A on this test uh, so that I don't get a you know a B in the class or whatever, then I'll. I'll, I'll make sure to get the A, but it, it, it was very uninspiring, very boring. Mm -hmm. When I started learning about fitness um, at the age of about 13 or 14, I found something that I was truly uh, passionate about. And I really dived in really deep. I mean, I mean, I was a 15-year-old kid buying anatomy books and, and chemistry books to yeah. try to figure out how, to, you know, what's, how supplements work and reading every single publication I could get my hands on uh, that was related to, to fitness. Um, I guess as an as an early child, if something uh, stimulated me, something got me excited, um, I would become obsessive about it. Mm. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, it was, you know, sharks at one point. So I became obsessive about okay. learning about sharks and then it became about dinosaurs and other, you know, types of science. Um, but, you know, once I started learning about fitness, that was it. And it was uh, an obsession that is lasted till um, today. Yeah. Um, and when I stepped into the gym for the first time at the age of 18, it was a very natural thing for me. I've always been, a, a, a you know, very vocal. I've always been a talker. Um, and it, so it was a great combination of, you know, something I was extremely passionate about. I felt very strong pull to help people through fitness. I don't mind talking to people. I, I, I communicate pretty well. So you combine those things together and it was a perfect uh, storm. It was a recipe for success. Yeah, yeah, it feels like you you really found your 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 calling really early on in life. That's that's awesome, man. And so now that you 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 got a bit into that, saying that that's like the way you you enjoy helping people is is through fitness. That's also something I, I, I'm very inter interested in because I feel like uh, physical health and fitness in general is like one of the main avenues that people can improve themselves. We we talk a lot about self-help here on the podcast and uh, sometimes it can get very metaphysical and very philosophical, which I think is important also, but sometimes we forgot like we forget the basis of, of like how do people um improve themselves. And I feel like one of the the main things is just by being healthier, you know, by because most people like they don't really 
have health in check, as you probably know. And I think when you start fixing those those pieces, like when you start fixing your sleep, your nutrition, your your, your physical exercise, I, at least in my personal experience, I see people also growing spiritually. Did you notice this in, in your clients, in your personal uh, training clients? Well, yeah, two things I'll comment about that. Um, one, you know, we if, whether or not you believe you have a soul or you don't, um, you receive information through the filter of your body and you put out information through the filter of your body. So a lot of your experience is subjective. So an unhealthy uh, body, a sick body, a, a body that's, you know, obese and full of inflammation and, uh, you know, in pain, not able to move very well, it's going to have a different subjective reality than that same body if it were healthy, fit, mobile, um, and not inflamed. And so uh, through that, um, fitness becomes a phenomenal medium for spiritual growth um, because either through lack of fitness or through fitness. Now, the thing I like about fitness is the pursuit of it is very black and white in comparison to other ways of improving yourself. So if you were to look at a, uh, go to a, a library or a, a bookstore and look up, you know, self-help books, you're right. A lot of them are going to be, you know, metaphysical and change how you think and, you know, who you are and all these different things. Fitness is is an easier uh, step. It's a it's not an easy step. It's still a difficult one, but it's an easier step. It's very black and white. And I can speak about improving health and fitness to anybody, regardless of their religion or their gender or what their or their political leanings. When I talk about fitness, I can communicate to quite a few people and it is self-help and it is a very black and white way of helping yourself. Now, when you pursue self-help through fitness and you stick to it, it becomes something you enjoy doing and you continue to work on. At some point, you do start to branch out because at some point you realize that uh, exercise and nutrition, as beneficial and as amazing as they are, are not the whole thing. At some point, you find yourself saying, wait a minute, there's more that's out there. And so people then, it's very natural. It's a natural way to enter into uh, more uh, ways of improving yourself, um, in, including spirituality. You know, we've, on the podcast, um, we've had uh, Bishop Barron on the show a couple yeah, yeah. times. I listened to that. And Amazing. He's a, he's a Catholic bishop. Um, and the reason why we had him on the show is he's using new media, you know, YouTube and podcasts and the internet to communicate uh, some of these old wise ideas. And he's doing a very good job of it. You know, he's communicating it to younger audiences. He's answering all questions. He'll go on Reddit. Um, and if you've ever been on Reddit, you know what a, what a yeah, terrible place yeah, that can be. It's a hard place. And he'll answer any, he'll answer any question. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll get on there and he'll answer it. So I thought this was very fascinating. So I interviewed him and uh, he told me uh, fitness is a phenomenal way to enter into, um, you know, spiritual growth because it's a clear, basic, simple way of self-improvement. And if you continue on the pursuit of self-improvement, at some point you start to realize that the pinnacle of self-improvement lies in spiritual self-improvement. And I've seen this with clients uh, so many times. I mean, I'll, I'll, if I've had clients who've lost lots of weight with me and then they start to develop a completely different uh, spirituality um, and they start to find different meaning in, in, you know, in life and things. And, mm -hmm. um, I've seen, you know, I've trained young kids, you know, young teenagers, 13, 14 years old and watch them change the way that they behave just because of the lessons that they learn through fitness. You know, they, they work out and get more fit and they learn the lessons of hard work and perseverance and, uh, dedication. And the, the results are, very black and white. Next thing you know, they apply those same skills to schoolwork or they apply those same skills to, you know, with their friends and they start to value yeah. things a little differently. So I love fitness exactly for that reason. You know, it's, it's a, a, it's a great step to self-help, to self-improvement. And it's one that isn't, you know, if I start talking spirituality, I'm going to turn off, yeah, exactly. you know, half of my audience. If I start, start talking about self-help in any way, I'll turn half the audience off. If I start about health and fitness, most people are interested. Even mm -hmm. if they're interested in getting started, most people will say, "Oh, you're a fitness expert. It, you know, I'd like to hear, uh, you know, what you think about this or that." And so it's just it's a great way to talk about self improvement. Yeah, I completely agree, man. I think everyone can relate to to fitness and health because everyone 
in general is trying to make some type of change to their body. You know, most people are overweight. Some people just want to have more energy. And so, yeah, I completely agree that it's a, an easier way to like to spread the message, like to get people to to improve themselves in themselves. And like you said, it gets to a point where you can't really distinguish like health from spirituality. You know, like kind of like you said, they complement each other. You can't really be healthy if you if you don't have your inner self in check if you don't have your spirituality in order your relationships it's all part of the the package but yeah it's difficult to just come out of the blue and say that to people like you know that you you need to be spiritual and read philosophy and it, so yeah I, I feel like fitness is one of the the most basic things you can relate well, to to everyone well think about it this way um you can enter into the f fitness through very non um, you know, self-help or, or self-growth means. I mean, you can go in there and just be like, I just want to look good. Yeah. Uh, or I want to look good for the beach or I want to be more attractive to men or to women or I want to be sexy. You know, very kind of, you know, uh, non-self-growth paths, you know, really yeah. more narcissistic paths. And a lot of people do enter fitness that way. But if you enter fitness that way and you stick with it and then you start to really dive in and try to improve yourself each time you start to fix those problems with yourself, then you become more open to more growth and more change. I mean, I, I got into working out because I was insecure about my body. I had, I didn't give, I didn't care about, you know, growth or spirituality. I just wanted to build muscle because I thought I was skinny, but, uh, I stuck with it for so long that, you know, 20 years later, um, now I'm looking for spiritual growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how that's, like kind of something that you initially didn't have anything to do with that eventually developed into into this kind of tool for spiritual growth it was the same for me I actually the, the exact same thing started working out because of, of like insecurity and then eventually just now it's just because of the pleasure of doing the thing itself and it's crazy how that change happens without kind of first of all us even noticing it and then how it impacts the rest of your life. You know, it completely changed uh, in my case, like a complete 180 for the rest of my life. Because once you start caring about these certain things, like caring about your health, you immediately start caring about other things because you start realizing everything impacts your health, you know, your relationships, your, your, your inner mindset, everything really is your health. And that's kind of like the, the big distinction. I think sometimes people make between, self-help and fitness i see people making this i don't really believe there's a even a line to cross you know i i think it's useful to have a line because like you said most people can't get alienated from from self-help and spirituality and i get that because if someone tried to talk to me about that initially i would also have been have been annihilated uh, and what uh, alienated sorry alienated. <laughs> yeah yeah that's the word <laughs> thank you thank you uh yeah. but yeah like going back to those to the Bishop Barron episode. I really love that one. And that's actually something I wanted to get in, if you don't mind. It's a bit like metaphysical and stuff. But I think it's one sure. of the, it's really one of the, my, first of all, I have to say it's one of my favorite episodes of the podcast. It's just amazing the, the way like this the Bishop Barron, you know, it's so uncommon to see someone from, at least I feel from the church, from Christianity, talk in such a, a refreshing way about it, you know, really answering, like you said, answering all the questions, going on Reddit, a, a really harsh place. And it's something that uh, for me growing up, I was really drawn away from religion just because I feel, I felt that they couldn't answer most of my questions. And now mm. seeing someone like him, like answer every single question, it's just something I feel that's what's lacking for, for young people, you know? Yeah, no, I, I had the same impact on me. It was, um, I mean, it worked on me. You know, you're, you're, I was a, an atheist uh, for a long time and, um, you know, and then I eventually became agnostic, um, but I had no interest in furthering any spiritual growth and found him on YouTube on accident. It was a recommended video because of another video that I was watching mm -hmm. and um, I thought it was phenomenal. And, you know, it's funny again through through fitness, you know, as I've been doing this as long as I have, you know, a couple things that I that I've learned and that's you know, our, our bodies evolved a particular way. Um, and that's why eating a particular way is better for us. It's just, you know, the way our bodies evolved and we need sunlight and we need, we need activity and we need a certain amount of sleep. And, but I think when we think of evolution, we, we only apply it to the, to biology. So we think, oh, we, you know, when something evolves biologically, 
then that that's because it's better than what was evolved out. Um, but we forget that ideas also evolve and they also uh, have to stand the test of time. So when you look at the, 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 the major religions, the, 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 you know, the, especially the Abrahamic religions, which are the largest ones, right? Mm-hmm. Islam, Judaism, and, and Christianity, which kind of come from very similar roots. When you look at them and you, you, you say, you can look at them and say, okay, those ideas have evolved and stuck around for thousands of years. There's probably some wisdom in them. And here's the, 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 this was a great thing for me because I'm a, I'm a natural skeptic and I, if, and it doesn't take much, you can very quickly notice very similar messages in, in the major religions. Um, you know, the, the idea of, of being present, right. That's a very common message. And you find that in every major religion, mm-hmm. certain practices like fasting, um, you know, that's, that's a common one, uh, warnings against, uh, you know, worship of money, power, sex, you know, those are all common messages in all the major religions. And so what you're finding is just wisdom. I mean, this is wisdom that, you know, has been has stood the test of time has evolved. And so for, I think sometimes we get a little, little bit, um, narcissistic, um, and, and, you know, we, we start to, we start to believe that we know everything because we're advanced and we have technology and we think, oh, well, that's, that, that's all nonsense. Um, because we're so smart now we have computers and all this other stuff. Well, okay. Yes, we have developed amazing tools, but that kind of wisdom is still applies today. Um, just because we're, we're wealthier than ever doesn't mean we're not going to suffer from, you know, uh, existential crisis or depression. I mean, some of the, some, some of the highest suicide rates are among some of the wealthiest people in, in the world, you know, who have everything. So there's a lot of wisdom there. And so when you examine it and if you look at it with open eye, with it, with an open heart and an open mind, rather than being, cause I was very closed off for a long time, just kind of being open-minded and say, okay, wait a minute. Why, why has this lasted for so long? Why have millions and millions and millions of people, maybe well, billions, if you count thousands of years, followed this and found value in this? Let me look at this with more of an open mind. And then you start to find tremendous incredible value um, uh, in, in the wisdom that's taught in some of these religions. So I think especially in modern times, we're, told, we're taught to look at religion as uh, uh, archaic, ancient, stupid, violent, um, you know, but the, but the reality is that it's, it's, uh, it's a tool and, and like all tools, it can be wielded uh, in a lot of different ways. And if we're more open-minded, we'll be able to take the, the value from it rather than shutting it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pick up the good stuff. You know, it's not always not. There's a, a fam, uh, not a, like an expression in English. I think it's like throw out the the baby with the bad water. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like that. You know, yeah, and go. yeah, go for it. Oh, I was gonna say you don't want to throw. No, you don't want to throw it all out. Um, you know, it's it's funny because you look at statistics and you know things like anxiety and depression are uh, you know seem to be climbing in, in certain populations, adolescents, I think teenagers, mm-hmm. um, and in people, you know, I know over the age of 60 are experiencing this, which is, you know, if you really think about it objectively, we have the, the easiest, wealthiest lives that we've ever had in comparison in human history. You know, like a, a, a poor person today has more than Kings and Queens did, yeah, you know, definitely. hundreds of years ago. You know, they, they have access to all of the information of human history at the touch of a, of a button. Um, they have access to, you know, Chinese food and Mexican food on the same street. You know, kings and queens didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they couldn't you know, have that. That wasn't even yeah, Mexican. They have air conditioning. You know, they can call people. They can do. Yeah. So um, we live in really, really good times. But yet, you know, anxiety and depression are very, very high. I don't think that those are problems of. Uh, you know, I think those are more problems of spiritual crisis, mm-hmm. and um, and and that's what religion deals with. You know, that's that's where that wisdom lies. Yeah. That's, you know, if you want to deal in science, you go to scientists. If you want to, you know, if you want to, you know, figure out how to make your car fast, you go to the the mechanics that understand race cars. You're having a spiritual crisis where you're anxious and depressed, and you lack meaning in life. You can't figure out what the hell's wrong. Why does everything feel empty and blank and why do I not feel, why do I have to medicate myself with alcohol or, or caffeine or tobacco or drugs? Or why do I need to, why don't I feel fulfilled? 
that's a spiritual crisis. Go to the experts, and that's where you'll find it, and that's in religion. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because I think so. Me being really young, I see the on on all my my, my friends, what people I grew up with and went to school with. It's very normal for us to even make like uh, jokes around you know depression and and, and anxiety. It's like it's, it's yeah. almost like it's something normal for all of us to experience, you know. And that's strange. That's strange for me to think about that. Just because, first of all, because of the statistics you mentioned, we live in the arguably the best time to be alive, you know, by, by lots of standards. And, and, but still there's this weird swelling up of depression and anxiety. And I feel like the problem is doubled because there's this problem. And I feel like young people don't know that there's a solution or they, at least they don't know where to go for that solution. Like you said, like they don't even know, they don't acknowledge uh, religion or spirituality as a, a means to, to solving that, that problem. And so they, they go to other things, to tobacco, right, right. To alcohol. Right. And we live, we live in, you know, uh, I mean, you're, you're calling for, you're talking to me from Portugal and obviously I'm in the U S and yeah. you know, the, some, the most successful countries are relatively free and they have these wonderful free markets and, and they've allowed us to produce phenomenal uh, products and goods with incredible efficiencies. Um, and uh, you know, that's all, uh, that's all great. That's all uh, good stuff. But unfortunately along with that has come the message that, you know, um, we buying stuff makes you happy. It doesn't. Um, that you you shouldn't have kids or don't have a lot of kids because yeah, they're expensive and they're gonna big one. No, uh, like around young people, you know, that's just the stigma around kids and like developing this balanced, old fashioned life, having a wife and kids. You know, it's like becoming. Oh yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like don't get married. You know, married marriage is terrible. You don't want to be married. You don't yeah. want to be tied down or whatever. You don't want kids. Kids cost a lot of money. You can't go places. This and it's funny. The evidence is clear. You know, if you if you look at the statistics and the studies, look at the studies on this. Okay, it's true that if you don't have kids, that you'll be uh, that you'll have uh, more times that you'll feel happy. Well, that's true. But here's the other side of that. When you look at those actual studies, those those studies, which side has more meaning and purpose in their life? And it's the people with kids. And, I, and we've been taught that being happy is what's important. That's not true. Mm-hmm. What's true is having meaning and purpose because life sucks without it. Yeah. <laughs> you can, what, ends up, what happens if you chase happiness all the time is you become addicted to drugs or you become addicted to pleasure yeah. um, because it's a fleeting, you know, it's a fleeting feeling, you know, uh, yeah, having to, children. I have two kids. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's oh. very easy to confuse happiness with pleasure. I guess that's pe- most people right. when they think of happiness, they think of feeling good. No, right. Or joy. Right. Joy. Joy is very different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're told, you know, buy things. Don't worry about, you know, that's what will make you happy. Don't get married. That's stupid. You don't want to tie yourself down. Don't have kids. And those are the things that actually bring people a sense of purpose, meaning. And yes, it's hard, but it brings you joy. And that's the other part, too, by the way. Uh, t- things that tend to give you meaning and purpose are hard. They're not, they're not easy. You know, like I'll give you a good example. Um, you know, I could, uh, I could get on a helicopter and I could get dropped off on the top of, uh, the tallest mountain in the world and I'd have a wonderful, beautiful view. It'd be amazing, but I wouldn't have nearly the sense of purpose and meaning as if I had climbed that mountain myself, as if I had gone through the challenge and the struggle and the difficulty of going all the way up that mountain, completely different experience. Although we both reached the top, it's the you know the the things that tend to give us the the, the reasons to want to live that satisfy our souls tend to be hard. And so we're telling everybody to do all the easy stuff, and we forget like and, and it's again it's because we've left we've left spirituality, or at least we've left the 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 spiritual practices that have stood the test of time. Because the funny thing is, if you look at the the, the polls you know, younger, younger generations are leaving religion, but they're not leaving spirituality. So what they're doing is they're leaving religion and they're running to whatever they want to call spirituality, you know, with the crystals or, you know, I I like to take mushrooms, ayahuasca and all this other stuff, which doesn't have the same, you know, hasn't, didn't stand the test of time for thousands of years to really show the same amount of value. I'm not saying it's not valuable, but it's definitely not, it hasn't stood the test of time. So They've abandoned all those 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 you know ways of learning these things, um, but they still crave it because I think we all crave it. You know, we we either evolved that way or we were created that way. 
Yeah, I think we definitely crave it, and it's ev- it's evident with all the the depression and anxiety rising up. You know, it's there's something lacking, and that and that's obvious. And I think, yeah, part of it is I think I, I first heard Jordan Peterson talk about this. Is like if something is present in today's society, it's like and it and it has been present along history. It's probably something worth at least checking out you know if it's stood like you said if it's to the test of time it probably has its value and i think we've we kind of like we have the opposite view nowadays young people it's like we see something that's old and we're like no that sucks because now we're new we're we're evolved we have technology we don't need none of this old uh, philosophy and religion stuff you know that's outdated oh it's it's the ultimate arrogance you know we're so arrogant and um, we, we look at old, you know, ways of doing things and we think, oh, just throw it all out. Well, we know better. And it's like, okay, you need to proceed with caution. There's a reason why things, certain things have been valued, uh, in particular ways for thousands of years, especially when you compare other cultures and they have similar ways of doing things. You know, there's a reason why they've all done things a particular way. There's some kind of value there. Um, so let's proceed with caution and respect the fact that, that you know, the past, you know, 500 generations of humans thought that that was a good way to do it. You know, there's a reason for it. I'm sure that, I'm sure there were people who thought it was stupid and retried to redo it, but it didn't last, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's just that ultimate arrogance. And I think as you get older, you start to, you start to, that arrogance starts to fade a little bit because, well, as you get older, you start to realize you don't know, you don't know nearly half mm-hmm. as much as you think you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a good segue from this is that uh, I first heard the topic of digital wellness uh, on, on your podcast and it's something that really right. interested in me because I, I, I immediately identified the problem in myself and all the people around me, like all my friends. No one kind of knows how to control this new power that is technology, social media, smartphones. It's something, it's very new and I feel that there's no guide on how to use it properly, you know? Everyone just abuses it way too much and I, I think that's the one of the main reasons we we have all these like current problems because it's kind of like it's become this new uh form of, of religion you know instagram you follow all your favorite celebrities they're the things you believe in you, you you list you follow this person and she or he tells you the message you want to hear and everyone gets so absorbed in, in instagram and sharing their lives and, and it feels that there is no there's no balance you know there's no boundaries and, and rules with this technology it's all very free and what i want to ask you is like what should we even should we try to set boundaries on this and rules because i i see that when i for when i am ungoverned with with social media and smartphone news i'm very uh, much more unhappy than when i have like practices in, in place to keep me from abusing it yes i so i i do i think it's smart um on an individual basis to to develop some structure um, and some practices because it's okay. So it reminds me a lot of the processed food revolution, right? So America led the way with that. Um, You know, we, we became wealthy, you know, very quickly and food manufacturers, you know, meeting consumer demand saw that consumers wanted food that was very, very palatable, but also very, very convenient. So the processed foods on the market just exploded and the problem with that is processed foods are really good at making you eat more. So people started to become obese, and now we're in an obesity epidemic. Now people are, are realizing, okay, food is very plentiful. It's very available. It's hyperpalatable, very convenient. I have to create structures and practices around this new environment. Now, mm-hmm. if you go back thousands of years, humans didn't really have to have these kinds of practices because what was around us was healthy. And our activity levels were naturally high because in order to get food, it, it costs lots of energy. Yeah. wasn't a problem. But today, food is everywhere. It's tasty. It's inexpensive. It's uh, convenient. So if you don't have practices uh, and structure around food, the odds that you'll be obese, the odds that you'll suffer the side effects of your new environment are actually are, are very, very high. And we know this. We know this is for a fact. So mm-hmm. with, digi- with, with digital technology, social media, and the, dis- the distractibility of technology, uh, it's, it's a very similar comparison. 
you know, manu- you know, uh, producers are creating technology that's uh, hyper palatable to to us now in a different way than food is, but still, it's very. It catches your attention. They they test it over and over again. They design it to do so, and that's okay. They're just trying to meet market demand, and we buy the stuff that is most attractive. So they're going to keep making more of it. But knowing that we're surrounded by this, um, and, and we never humans have never been in an environment like this before, you should probably develop some practices and structures around its use. Otherwise, if you allow yourself to just use it when you want it will take up more and more and more of your time and it will start to replace actual real human contact and relationships. And it does so for a couple different reasons. For the same reasons why hyperpalatable food did. You know, hyperpalatable food replaced other types of food because it was fast, it was convenient, and it tasted good. So it got rid of all the difficulty. If, if you wanted to make something really tasty in the past, you had to cook it, prepare it, and make it perfect and it would take a couple, you know, two, three hours and then you'd have a delicious meal. Well, now you could buy it, warm it up and, and or buy a bag, open it up and and there you go. Um, so with with uh, technology, we're in a very similar, uh, you know, situation. Um, so you develop those structures around it so that you kind of slow yourself down and become uh, more aware. Otherwise, your consumption of technology will, you know, and, and the example I was giving uh, this is a great example. Meeting real people requires driving somewhere, walking somewhere. They, the potential of them seeing not a good side of you. You might say something wrong. There's a little bit of shyness, maybe a little anxiety around it. Well, what if I could eliminate all that? Um, you don't even have to walk. You can go on your phone and you could just present your highlight reel of your life and look at other people's highlight reels and then send them a message. And before you send the message, make sure it says the right perfect thing and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, it's a hyper palatable way of meeting people. But because you're eliminating the challenge and all that other stuff, you eliminate a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. And so you're, 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 it, the value isn't the same. And you can see that in kids that all they do is go on technology. So you need to, I believe you have to develop some structure around your use and, and make it very intentional. So if you decide you want to go on your phone and waste some time, um, it's intentional. Okay, I'm going to yep. go on for 30 minutes, you know, set a timer. Uh, don't bring your phone to the bathroom. Allow that to be quiet time. I know a lot of people listening right now are like, no way, I can't go to the bathroom without That's my such phone. a good example, man. I, I remember as a kid, uh, like going to the bathroom, there wasn't smartphones around. And I would just like look at the floor and imagine things or read the back of the shampoo bottles. And I don't do that anymore, you know? The phone is always right. in the bathroom. Right, right. So, you know, eliminate it from there. Um, don't look at it first thing in the morning. Give yourself about an hour. Um, you know, say what you're going to do before you get on it. Uh, set some time when you you turn it off or unplug um, so that you could do other things. Give yourself some 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 quiet time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're losing that, you know. In the past, um, if you drove somewhere besides the radio, it was quiet time. If you walked somewhere, it was quiet time. If you waited in line, it was quiet time. If you went to the bathroom, it was quiet time, um, you know. So uh, give yourself some of that time, you know, where you, for an hour you do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but think or journal or read, um, because we, uh, it, it turns out our minds need that, uh, in order to process feelings and emotions. Um, so that's also very important, but yeah, develop practices for sure. Because if you leave it up to just when I want to use it, they're so good. It's just like with food, you're going to overdo it. And, and you know, the signs might not be obesity. Uh, you're not going to get fat off of that, but you might get, um, you know, some changes in your personality, behaviors, and even maybe the way you perceive the world. Yeah, that was such a good analogy. I never thought about it that way. Uh, like, it's basically fast food, you know. <laughs> this is kind of like social media and smartphone technology. Is It's really like, that's a good analogy, you know, with fast food. It's the same thing. It's, it makes it easier for you to do, like, for social connection and all that. But easier isn't necessarily better, like you said, because there's uh, the, the struggle lots of struggle is what gives meaning to life and you know that struggle having to going out like for example do you know how ridiculous like relationships like romantic relationships are nowadays how they form themselves and i see this going on around uh, with with my friends you know you don't just go up and talk to a girl you know you, you first it's like you do this weird instagram dance where you like her post then you wait for her to like your post and then you like their post back and then you can send a message and then you eventually meet you know but there isn't that 
this uncomfort of just having to, in this case of like romantic relationships, of having to go out there and expose yourself and, and expose your personality and having to be interesting. And so it's the same thing with fast food, you know, like, like you said, you don't, you don't need to put in the time to cook the perfect meal. You just have to kind of make it look like you have the perfect meal. And so you, you get this kind of empty connections. And I feel that's what's happening nowadays. I think most people, most young people feel lonely which is strange because we're more connected than ever, but still we feel this loneliness that I think only can only be solved from real connections. And real connections, like you said, needs those boundaries for it to happen. Totally. Look, um, okay, look, I'm using the food example, right? So mm-hmm. let's say you spent, you know, two hours making a meal versus a meal that you just bought uh, at the, you know, at the fast food place or whatever. Even if it was the same kind of meal, right? There's a different value on the one that you, worked for. You valued it differently. Same thing with relationships. Uh, and I almost think that we value relationships less because they're easier to to connect and talk to people. Um, and think of the learning lessons that you get and the growth that you get from going through the uncomfortable moment of going up to the girl, being embarrassed, being yeah. shy. Are you going to get rejected more? Probably. You're probably going to get more face-to-face rejections, but it's going to strengthen you it's going to make you a better person versus the swipe right, swipe left or whatever. So I do think that there's something lost. And I don't think that there's, it's a coincidence that, uh, that as you said, loneliness, that's a big one. You know, uh, kids are more lonely today, which is very strange. That's never really happened right. before. I don't think we've ever seen statistics where kids uh, said that they were lonely. That was something that only the, you know, people in their seventies and eighties felt. Yeah. Because so kids very are the experts at, at like, social connections you know i just see my i have a young sister and i just see her like walking up to a kid say hi you want to be my friend then boom <laughs> that's it right and it's right right like, yeah it's very strange yeah i i do think the future of uh i think that one of the big um pillars of the health and fitness space will be digital wellness um mm-hmm. in the in the relatively new future because uh it's you know we're, we're good at, at at health and fitness we understand parameters and structure and how to change behaviors and I think it's going to be a very easy transition to helping people through digital wellness. Yeah, and I think it's going to be more and more needed because I see with kids nowadays, going back to, the, to my young sister example, as soon as someone hands her a smartphone, it's like a night and day difference. She's like, naturally, she's like this extroverted kid, gets really along, with, along well with everyone, always smiling, making jokes, talking to everyone. But as soon as you put that like smartphone with a video playing on YouTube in front of her, she completely shuts off, you know? there's She's just like feels like a zombie and just looks at that and doesn't want to talk to anybody. That's why I think it's, it's such a, a a something that we don't even know the consequences that are are to come from it because kids nowadays are being born into it. And that's something we, we really, we don't know. There's no like precedence to that, you know? Yeah. We'll know in about probably, you know, generation or two, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I I hope it's not, not too late by by then. (laughs) Yeah. Same here. Yeah. But, yeah, this is one of the, the, the all all of my one of my all time favorite podcasts. Also, that you did the 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 um, digital wellness. But moving on, I know you also read a lot, and you have to read a lot because you are always like you do almost a daily podcast. It's crazy the the your uploading schedule, and you always have to always have this interesting topics coming about. And how do you say you you you've developed these habits, like these these the, these habits that allow you to have so much knowledge and, and learn so much because I know habit forming is one of like the, the, the hardest things for most people because we want to believe that it's all through willpower that we do stuff. Like we say, I want to read a book and then we just Bruce force our way into reading a book. But we know that that's not really what works. You know, you have to put in habits and strategies in place. Do you think, do you, have you worked consciously to do this? Did it come naturally? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I've developed a few, a couple, well, there's, there's like one hack that I've developed that really helps me um, sift through and find information that I'm interested in. So, um, and you can, anybody can do this. So if you go on Facebook and you're interested in a subject or, you know, a topic, let's say you're interested in, um, you know, economics, okay. Mm-hmm. In the search bar, top it, type in economics um, or economy or, you know, different subcategories on economics. And what you'll find, it'll list groups and pages 
uh, that are on Facebook that uh, talk about that particular topic. Find the ones you like, join them or follow them. And then what ends up happening is because, you know, I follow a lot for science, nutrition, politics, um, economics, um, and now uh, spirituality. So then what happens is my newsfeed is made up of articles that are posted in these groups because these groups are made up of, you know, anywhere between 500 to 10,000 or whatever people who are all interested in, you know, neuroscience, for example. So every day members will post a new, oh, wow, look at this new study on whatever, or wow, look at this article on, and it's all neuroscience related. So I'll find it in my newsfeed. I'll click on it. I'll read the article and it's already been picked for me by somebody who's super interested in neuroscience. Then in the comments, I have a bunch of neuroscience, you know, nerds who are super into it and they're all discussing the article, which is phenomenal. So it's like, you know, if you want to learn about economics, how wonderful you get articles picked for you. But then in the comments, you get a bunch of people who know economics who are discussing and debating the article. So it's like a phenomenal hack uh, and way to learn. Um, you know, very, very quickly. So I don't have to go and search. I don't even know. Sometimes I don't even know what to search. I just find that, you know, these are topics that I like to read about. They post them. I read the comments. I see people's discussing. Then when I start to feel confident and I have questions, I start to debate or discuss with the people in the comments. And I love that because uh, for me, and I think this is true for most people, I learn best when I, when I learn something, but then I discuss it or argue it. So if mm-hmm. I, if, if I read something in an article and I feel confident enough to talk about it. I'll find somebody who I know uh, would like to talk about this particular topic, and then I'll discuss it with them, and then they'll challenge me. And it 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 really gets me to learn what I know very very well, and it helps me iron out, you know, wrong information or right. You no, know, maybe somebody asks me, you know, maybe I have an opinion on something I presented to someone, and then they ask me a question, and I'm stumped. And I go, oh wow, uh, geez, I don't know. I guess you might be right. I'll go back and I'll read some more. And I'll fine tune my my argument, or you know, but it solidifies it, right? It solidifies it uh, in my mind, and then I don't forget it. So then, when I get on the podcast, I can just talk about it because it's something that I've talked about, you know, before. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I like to do is I like to, if I form an opinion on something, um, once it's solid, like once I've done that process of discussing, debating, whatever, and I I feel very confident uh, in my opinion. Then I will seek out the the smartest uh, you know arguments against my opinion. I'll find the smartest people or pages on Facebook that are uh, on the opposite side. So let's say, for example, um, and this is not I don't believe this, but let's just let's just say, for example, I believe vaccines are bad. I'm I'm anti-vaccine, and I'm my opinion is very very solid. I will go out and try to find the best arguments. To, in favor of vaccines and what, and then I'll go through a whole process of doing that. And through that process, either my argument will become strengthened because it'll stand that test or my mind will be changed, which often happens. Oftentimes I get my mind changed and I realize that my opinion was not necessarily the right one. Um, so that's the process that I go through. But as far as practices to do that, you know, I just love it. I, I think I've always loved it. I love debating. I love discussing I love talking. Um, I love learning about things. And if I get into something, I can't get it out of my mind. So this is just a, I think it might be a part of who I, I am. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I, my, my, my mom bought the Encyclopedia Britannica. This was mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, they didn't have, you know, before the internet, you could buy uh, this encyclopedia set and they'd, they'd send it to you and you'd have, you know, A through Z. And then every year they'd send you a new one that talked about the previous year. And it was great to have in your home if you had kids, because if your kids ever did a report or whatever, they would just go to the encyclopedia that you owned or whatever, and they would get updated. So on, you pay them every month. So I had this huge encyclopedia uh, set at home. And um, when I was a kid, I mean, I'm talking like, I don't know, nine, 10, 11 years old. um, I would sit in the living room and I grab a random encyclopedia and I would just read. And in the way encyclopedias work is it's like Wikipedia, right? You'd open it up and you'd be on the letter B and it'd be all, it'd be everything about, you know, you know, bicycles and you'd learn about the history of bicycles. Oh, okay. and, and yeah, every word of the starting would be. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bats, and then I'd learn all about bats. And I'd, I'd just go through, and I'd, I'd oh, read the whole thing. Uh, probably, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, yeah. maybe, you know, through those years. And I would sit there and read them, and then, you know, my kids from the neighborhood would knock on the door and, you know, can Sal come play? And my mom would look at me, do you, you know, and I'd say, <laughs> no, no, I'm not home, and I want to read this, you know. And you <laughs> well, know, So I used to love doing that, so I still have that kind of, you know, that enjoyment of doing that. So, and the funny thing is, you know, as a trainer, uh, when I used to train people, um, I love fitness and love health, but I used to also love having conversations with my clients. And we'd have all kinds of conversations. And, you know, oftentimes they were not related to health and fitness. And um, I love that part of it. I remember thinking to myself, like, God, I wish I could one day earn a living being in fitness, but also talking about other stuff. And I would love to make a living just talking, you know. And, uh, you know, then, I, then it started, then, you know, Mind Pump came around. Yeah, and it actually worked out, huh? <laughs> my, my wish came true, you know. I get yeah. to talk for a living. Amazing. That, that's that's amazing, man. Yeah, but it, I feel like you touched on something very important there, which is also not being afraid uh, of being wrong. You know, you're actively searching out that that those intelligent people, those smart arguments to get your positions so you can actually strengthen your stance. And so I, I feel like when having these debates, with, because I also really enjoy debating with, with, with people and my friends and stuff, I feel that there's this kind of fear of changing your mind. You know, you kind of don't want to... That, and that's I feel like that's a, a ma major problem in our like political kind of current climate. I don't want to get too much into it, but it's, I feel like there's this kind of fear of having your mind changed because I think people like maybe are afraid that they'll be excluded from their group or, or from their from whatever they think. But it's it's really important, you know, like you said, like go out and actively even search for the strong arguments and compare them. That's how you really build a, a strong strong positions in your life that's how you really decide what you stand for and what you don't stand for and that that's important that's right, that's right. how do you know you're right if you can't uh you know if, if your belief or opinion doesn't stand uh against somebody who's on the opposite side mm -hmm. uh who does a great and what you got to do is you have to be open-minded so when you go into a discussion or debate with someone yeah you definitely want to win the debate and the discussion because you believe you're you're right but also be open-minded so that if they point, if they come up with a good point or idea that you can't, you know, you know, refute or debate, um, think about that. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know. See if you can refute it. Go back and research. And if you can't, maybe there's some truth there. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm less afraid of being wrong. I'm more afraid of being wrong and not knowing it. That's what mm -hmm. I'm more afraid of. Like, you know, that I'm wrong, but I don't even know that I'm wrong. I'm just being yeah. wrong. A lot, of, a lot of, we make a lot of mistakes that way. You know what I mean? Uh, we do a lot of uh, terrible things to ourselves when we don't know that what we're doing is wrong, you know? So I, I, I don't mind if I'm talking to someone and they really do a good job and I'm like, wow, man, you know what? Like it ha it's happened to my, my, my podcast You know, I've had guests on the show and I had a real strong opinion and the guest presented a, a phenomenal argument with evidence and, and, I, and I'll, I'll leave saying I've changed my mind, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a great feeling. Yeah, that, that's a very respectable. You know, I think if more people were like that, we wouldn't have these kind of so many issues. But going back also to, um, oh my God, like I kind of forgot what I was going to say, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I'll get back to it if I remember. But one of the things I also wanted to get into it because I was just listening to your uh, to the Mind Pumps podcast today of the New Year's resolution one. And I was just thinking because obviously New Year's, was just around and there's like still lots of people going especially into gyms and fitness and making all these kinds of resolutions and we obviously know that sadly the tendency is for these resolutions not to stick and, and so the th thing i wanted to ask you is like how do you think people can make these resolutions especially like relating in relating related to fitness how do you make these resolutions stick how do you make something that's long term and that's concrete and that doesn't just fall apart after one month Right. Well, um, if you look at, you know, the ways that people change uh, fundamental behaviors permanently um, and, you know, how you your activity level and especially your diet, especially your diet and nutrition, mm -hmm. those both are fundamental parts of your behavior. I mean, it's food, especially there's so much so much around food, right? It's like there's cultures around food. You're in Portugal. You guys have different foods than people in Japan. You probably even have different ways of eating and different customs uh, revolving around food than they do in Japan. I bet you guys have 
foods that you serve at weddings. There's a bit, there's specific types of foods that you have at when you go to the beach, breakfast foods, lunch foods, dinner foods. You know, if you look at different cultures and you see what they typically eat for breakfast or, or lunch or dinner, it can be different. Um, we don't, we eat because of uh, our emotions and feelings. It, it, it's basically, it is very much a part of our behavior, right? A- activity is also how much we exercise, how much we move um, is also a, a, a part of our behavior. It's very stag- It's very stable. When you look at someone's activity levels and you look at it on a long, you know, uh, graph or whatever, you'll see that, oh, you know, Mrs. Johnson moves only so much uh, on a regular basis and, and it kind of stays that way. So, what you're trying to do is you're trying to change those two things that are a part of who you are. And there's only really two ways that that happens uh, permanently. One is through the through an epiphany, right? So I don't know if you, if you are, are you familiar with the term epiphany? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, so this is like a like a breakthrough uh, moment, a religious experience almost, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be an epiphany for somebody who wants to lose weight? Um Maybe they're they're overweight and they are, they're fifty years old and they have kids and and then they have a heart attack and they almost die and they go to the hospital and you know they get surgery and then they wake up and they're like you know what I almost died I almost left my family I'm going to change everything right that that would be an epiphany right um, but it's rare those are rare occurrences uh, for the most and sometimes those don't even work by the way I, there's people who would get those kinds of wake up calls and still wouldn't make a big difference. So mm-hmm. epiphany is one of them. That's the fast permanent way to make change. The other way is, is how, uh, is really the main way that we make change permanent. And it's the only way you can plan it. And that's through a slow, gradual process. That's it. There's, there's, there's no other way that will change your behaviors on a permanent forever basis, at least statistically speaking for most people than this slow, gradual process. So if you want your fitness routine to become permanent, uh, then what you do is you look at your life now, okay, and you're honest with yourself. Okay, how much do I exercise now? Uh, zero. I don't exercise at all. Okay, I want to start exercising. How much can I include in my life realistically that I can do forever realistically right now with my current mindset? Not thinking of the future, because I think sometimes people, we tend to be pretty, uh, you know, uh, positive about our motivation and discipline in the future. Like if I say to myself, yeah, I could work out five days a week, and you know, and I think of myself in the next, you know, five years or whatever. Okay, right now, right? Think of yourself right now. What's realistic for you forever? Once a week. Okay, once a week is what I know for sure with my current mindset, who I am and everything, and it's more than I was doing before. That's, as, that's the most I could do you know, uh, that I know I can, I can stick with now do that. That's it. Do that. Once it becomes a part of your life, you go to the gym every Monday night at five o'clock or whatever. And that becomes a regular, like, I don't want to miss it. It's a priority. I can't wait to go to the gym type of thing. Once it becomes that, then add something else. Take that approach, do it slowly. It builds on itself over time and it takes longer um, but you would be surprised at how how fast it actually works, and then your odds of permanent success are much happier, or excuse me, are much higher, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something we also talk. I don't know if you're familiar with the um, the kaizen concept. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, so it's basically it's a Japanese word, and it basically translated, it means being better one percent each day. And, and basically, the idea of, of it is improves, improving gradually and slowly, like you you're mentioning. And it's definitely, I think. Oh, yeah. Something that isn't mentioned, you know, uh, in like in self-help, in fitness, whatever we all, I think it's the reigning message is still the the go big or go home. Like, no, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Uh, I'll just start working out seven days a week and not eating anything at all. And I think that's such an harmful message because, well, there's a double like it's like a double edged blade because I, I know that the people who spread it are trying to do good, but the people who need to, the people who are going to listen to it aren't really the people that are going to derive any benefit from it you know and there's such this this conflict and that's i think i feel that i feel that it's something that kind of needs to be counterbalanced and that's something we also try to do here it's really talk to people and let them know that real change takes time you know you can't just make this one month transformation and expect it to stop there you know you have the rest of your life to live with and that's something also i have 
me and my brother we talked about a lot about it about it here on the podcast because we we suffered from it you know we were these kids who wanted to make these changes i at one point i, went, I was very skinny i wanted to put on a lot of on a lot of muscle and so i was just i was like to myself okay i'll just go work out every day and eat like a maniac and obviously that didn't work out because there's a limit to it and only once i started to take it slow and, and gradual and be honest with myself and say okay i haven't i've never worked out so for me to start i'll have to take it slow that's only when the real change started. Absolutely. It's the only, it's in, in my experience as a, as a trainer, I've trained lots and lots of people. Mm-hmm. That is by far the most successful approach to long-term permanent uh, health and fitness success. So you have to ask yourself, you know, am I, do I want to just, do I want to do this over and over again? <laughs> do I want to, you know, lose weight and gain it back over and over again? Do I want to get stuck in that cycle or do I want to, f- figure this out forever, fix it forever. And if you want to fix it forever, take the approach that, you know, we're talking about. If you don't want to fix it forever, then it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah, man. And that's, I have such huge, huge respect for, for you and for Mind Pump because that's really a message that that's not popular, or at least it, when you started, it wasn't, wasn't popular at all, you know, and you know, that what really got list, listened and what got views and clicks were, it was like one month transformations and, and all the, this complete opposite message of, and I, I have so much respect for you actually sticking to your guns and, and doing this. And it's the, the only word that comes to me, it, it's genuine. It's very genuine. And even talking to you, it feels like I'm listening to the podcast, you know, it's exactly the same. Uh, like, it's like, it's really, it really is like, it's you, you three guys having these conversations and, and talking about genuinity it's something that's like i feel it's very lacking in, in social media and public figures in general you know i and i think it's something people can tell you know i can i can tell when someone is being genuine and i feel like most people most public figures aren't genuine why do you think that's a problem why do you think that happens uh well i mean why aren't they genuine because uh they want to build a business or they want to get a lot of views and likes they have publicists um, you know, that tell them what to say and do. Being genuine is not easy either. Um, it requires vulnerability. The, the, you know, we all, we learn that skill through training people, right? So remember, you know, right now we have a successful podcast, but for, for over 20 years, um, I trained people and, um, I did, you know, pretty well with it, but that's all, that's what I was. I was a trainer or a gym owner. And over that period of time, you know, if, if you're really trying to help people, you start to figure things out. And one thing that I figured out was if I was vulnerable and genuine, I, uh, that my clients were more likely to take my advice. You know, if, 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 I, if I tried to impress them with the way I talked and if I appeared to be perfect, uh, I couldn't relate to them. They, they, they didn't feel like they, they couldn't relate to me. They didn't feel like they could take my advice because, oh, there's this ripped, you know, perfect, you know, trainer um, who's telling me to change my eating habits. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't understand me or whatever. So I, I started to learn that, you know, if I wanted to really impact them and influence them and not impress them, but influence them, I had to be vulnerable. I had to tell them about my challenges and who I was. And I just had to be real. And I was far more effective that way. Um, now, luckily, we're in a, a t- an interesting time with media because it's been around long enough. All media has been around long enough to where people the the fake perfect message i think is starting to lose its power um just because it's been around for so long and i think now it's it's you know being authentic uh you know like if like commercials that look like they're real right rather than scripted it's like reality authenticity yeah yeah reality tv that kind of stuff i think people want that now so it's a good time to be yourself now that won't that's not going to guarantee you success but it will guarantee. It, it will give you more of a guarantee that if you do succeed, you're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a lot of people who've achieved uh, notoriety, but through not being themselves, and it's a very stressful, depressing uh, state to be in. To be fake, you know, to be that person that everybody thinks you are, but you're not. To be well known and successful, but that's not who you are. That's a. That's like a. That's torturous. That could be like hell. Um, you know, like uh, I walk on the street, someone recognizes me. Yeah. I don't have to worry, you know, like, Oh, I gotta be yeah. this fake. And it's like, who I, you know, who you hear on the podcast is who I am in real life. Um, so it's really the only way for me at least and in, in for my co-hosts and, and business partners 
we're that's the only way for us is we you know we do what was successful with our clients and it oh by the way it works for success as well because uh, we're real and that makes the whole process much more enjoyable and less stressful mm-hmm. amazing yeah amazing and this is just um, one question that I've always wanted to to ask you and one question I always ask like to ask people and it's like if you had to choose like two to three books that you like that were mandatory for people to read what would they be i mean i know this is maybe like a kind of a, a, a difficult question so feel free to take it whatever you want <laughs> yeah, no problem so um uh, you know i like i think milton friedman has a really good book called it's an old book called capitalism and freedom not the easiest thing to read so um if you don't want to read that i suggest going on youtube and watching his series uh called free to choose and the reason why i recommend that is he's uh, he was a, an economist um and he explains the value of freedom liberty and free markets and why it's so valuable to the average person especially to the to the poor to people the poor people of the world um, and he's a very empathetic communicator, so it's a it's a great great um, thing to read. Um, I also recommend um, reading spiritual texts. So I think the Bible is a good example of something. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, you could read books about it just to kind of look at the wisdom that's found in one of the most popular books of all time. I won't limit it to just that. I think you can find lots of wisdom in other um, spiritual texts. Um, I liked, uh, uh, let's see, what was that book called? Oh, Many Lives, Many Masters. Great book. Um, uh, I enjoyed reading that quite a bit. Gave me some pretty good, um, interesting uh, perspective. Um, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, what's another really good book that I enjoyed? I mean, some of the books I read, I don't know if they'd enjoy, if people would, would like them. They might be, uh, yeah. you know. I mean, this is some people don't have to like it. It's like the the books you think most people like would benefit from reading. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. It's like yeah, I like like recommending the Bible isn't something like most most people don't want to read the Bible, you know. But I yeah. think it's it's something that would benefit most people definitely. And yeah, don't like I said, don't you don't need to be religious. Like, don't worry about that part. Um, <laughs> just look at the wisdom that's in it, or read books about the wisdom that's in there. And and if you're not religious, you could be atheist. It doesn't matter. There's there's some interesting. Uh, you know, wisdom and something like that. Um, so I, those are the ones I can I, I, that really yeah. come to mind right now that I can think about. Yeah, that's a perfect answer for that. It's a difficult question. I know it's like out of the top yeah. of your mind, like remembering these top three books. It can be a bit of pressure. But yeah, I mean, I'm in the process right now of reading about the Bible. So I've never, I haven't okay. even read it, but I'm reading about it, um, and I'm like, I'm shocked at some of the the wisdom that comes out of it. And I, I'm still not even, I don't even, I don't even know if I'd consider myself religious yet. Um, but, uh, but boy, there's some of the stuff that's coming out, like the Beatitudes, learn about the Beatitudes. That's a, a incredible wisdom there about detachment from material things, which is echoed in all the major religions, including Eastern religions, which are, have no connection to, to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so are you, so uh, sorry, I didn't get it. Are you actually reading the Bible or are you reading like this other book about the Bible? I'm reading the Bible, but I'm also trying to read books about it because it's okay. it's a it's a it's a remarkably complex book. I didn't realize it was so complex. Yeah. So, um, like I, I could read one section; and it could take me a couple of days to kind of understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, a good place to start, but it's it's obviously obviously difficult. And I think spirituality it's one of those things that it's difficult to get into it. You know, because like you said, if it's not it's, if it's not coming from an epiphany. It really needs to be like this diligent work, at least for me, because I also recognize the value in spirituality, but I've also been raised in a fashion that kind of despises spirituality. So there's like this inner yeah. conflict in myself. It's like, I know the value, but I also don't feel like <laughs> reading about it. But but so, I mean, yeah, I think that's the only way to, to, to actually go for it is go for the source, you know. Yeah. And just be patient. You know, like I, I'm not going in seeking anything in particular. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, s- s- going slow, being patient, you know, creating a practice, uh, you know, taking out the wisdom and wow, that's phenomenal. That's an interesting thing. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Let me see where that's echoed in other religions and just have fun with it. You know, don't be open-minded, have fun with it is what I would say. Mm-hmm. That's a great advice. Sal, man, I, I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours and hours. You're such a great talker. You definitely made 
my job easier. <laughs> I know you're a busy man. You, you, you have things to do with Mind Pump and I want to respect your time. So just this one last question for you. And, and it is like uh, also a, a difficult one. So feel free to go where you want with it. But it is, if you could give 20-year-old Sal some advice, what would you say to him? Oh, gosh. You know, that's a great question. I, I would, if I could give myself advice, I think, you know, and it's tough because what would you say? Because if I if I changed any any direction of yeah, course, yeah. I know the when I was younger, I wouldn't be who I am. Yeah, I, I guess I would just say, hey, you're doing. I'd say, you know, stay on track. You know, because I wouldn't <laughs> want to change anything. You know what I mean? So I That's think that would be my advice. Like, hey, you're doing great. Stay on track, and then not, and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> But that that by itself could change the the course of things. Maybe you could just watch him from a distance. <laughs> not that's, say true. that's true. Yeah. Very good. Ah, great answer. That's the that's the the first one I ever heard, original one. <laughs> But, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. I just I want to thank you for for doing agreeing to this interview. It was a, a, a huge pleasure for me. Something I've always wanted to do. I've been listening to you for two years on Mind Pump, and it's amazing to talk to you. Also, want to thank you for for all the work you and your in and the guys at Mind Pump do. I feel like it's really, really valuable and just. Also, drop off at if you if you want to just drop off all your your Instagram and Mind Pump's Instagram, so the people listening can can find you. Oh yeah, you can find me at Mind Pump Sal, and the podcast is Mind Pump Media. And then, of course, you can find the podcast Mind Pump on on most uh, podcast platforms, including iTunes and Stitcher. All right, well, that's an end for me, man. Thank you so much for for doing this, and I'll see you next time. Man. Right. Thank you, man.